Saying goodbye is sometimes incredibly difficult. You know, there's the, you know, goodbye, we'll see you next week, which is what I usually experience with you, right? Um, and that's not difficult, um, particularly. And when we say goodbye to a friend or family member, we're going to see him again very soon. Um, but of course, many of us have had the experience of having to say goodbye to a good friend and not really know when we'll see them again. And that's, that's much more difficult, right? To say goodbye and understanding that now that relationship, that close relationship we had is now really definitively changing. That's hard because we're losing something. There's, there's definitely a sense of loss. And of course, most profoundly, Saying goodbye to somebody who's dying is really, really difficult. And those of you who have, have had to do that, everybody's going to have to do that. But those of you who have had to do that, you know, and even if you don't know, you, you probably know that it's going to be hard. It's an incredibly emotional moment, an incredibly poignant moment filled with so much emotion. Get inside of how that feels. Remember how that feels to understand this gospel. Because that's what's happening. The apostles had had this experience of Jesus being brutally murdered. And that's what happened. Brutally killed. Treated like a common criminal. Treated in the worst way possible. I mean, just the sense of injustice and anger they must have felt, as well as that sense of loss and disappointment, thinking he was the Messiah, and then that happened, right? You can just imagine all of those emotions, how horrible they would have felt for this innocent man who they loved to be treated in that way, to be killed in that fashion. And then mourning him over the course of about three days, and then hearing that he's risen, and then experiencing his, his risen presence, the reality of him alive. I mean, the swing of emotions it couldn't be greater that they would have felt. And so obviously, the Lord being back, the Lord being resurrected, they're, they're you know, back up again. Okay, so this is the plan the plan was that we don't get it, but the plan was that you would die, and then now you've risen, and so now you're going to do the Messiah thing. Now you're going to do the Messiah thing. I mean, he's in the middle of it, of course, his death and then resurrection and ascension, but, you know, they, only, they have limited information, limited knowledge, limited understanding. But their understanding, again, of Messiah is this sort of restoration of the glory of Israel in some way, deliverance from oppression in some way. And they're not particularly thinking of primarily spiritual. They're thinking in some way, you know, something human, you know, something in this life. And so when not too long after Jesus rises from the dead, he tells them, I'm leaving. This is their response. And this is why he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled because they're troubled. What do you mean you're leaving? Right? Just imagine all of that emotion 
wrapped up. And he knows that they're upset. Where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas is like, what do you, we don't even, we're just, you know, he's probably, again, overcome with emotion. We don't know where you're going. What are you doing now? We don't understand what you're doing. We don't even, it's, it's, you know, probably a sense of injustice. You're leaving us again. A sense of abandonment. You're leaving us again. No, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Thomas. And then Philip is, the way I receive what he said is just sort of one of those things when people say something and they don't know what they're saying, but they feel like they got to say something and it doesn't really make any sense, that kind of thing. You know, he's like, well, just, just show us the Father then. That'll be enough for us. Jesus is like, you know, Philip, I've shown you enough. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. This is the plan. I'm leaving. I'm going away. So the apostles, I'm sure, thought, Jesus being relatively young, that they had years to spend yet with him, right? Years to usher in whatever it meant that he was the Messiah. Years to see that unfold and, and, and take place. And they were looking forward to seeing how God would sort of set things right and fix things. But he didn't do that. He left. Now, that's not all he did. We'll get to those, we'll get to the Ascension and Pentecost and the rest. We'll fill in, in those blanks in subsequent weeks. But this is where they're at right now, feeling this way. It's not a new thing for believers to want God to do more and to question why he doesn't. This is exactly what the apostles were feeling. And of course, it's exactly what God did. He didn't do what was expected. He didn't do more. He didn't, why didn't he stay? And furthermore, he's resurrected. So not only could he have stayed for many, many, he could have stayed forever. He could have, but he didn't. But why wouldn't he stay? Why wouldn't he want to stay? I mean, he's all powerful. He's all good. Why wouldn't a God who is all good and all powerful both want to fix everything and be able to do so? Why would he kind of, it would seem, abandon us? And I think that many of us have felt that. I mean, Jesus felt it on the cross. But many of us have felt that sense of abandonment. God, where are you? Where have you gone? Why aren't you doing more? You say you love me. You say you're all powerful. You say to trust in you. And yet, look at the world. As it is. Look at all of the suffering, injustice. Look at all of the horrible things that continue to take place. Where are you? And that's just the world. You know, then we we look at our own just lives, right? Where are you in this? Where are you in my life and my my children's lives, grandkids and and all the rest? Where are you? I mean, I know you're there, but why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you fixing more? And he stubbornly doesn't. I think this is a problem for us. Don't you? I mean, it's, right? It, I can't be the only one here who feels, I know I'm not. Why aren't you doing more? You're not being a very good God. <laughs> 
when we start talking about it, you know, it starts to make us seem a little silly. But we feel this way. And we then want to try to fix it ourselves. And throughout the course of human history, right, mankind has sought to fix and alleviate our problems. And here's the thing that we find, actually, it's, it's really interesting. When you consider when cultures have tried to fix what's wrong with the culture or the society in big, big ways, it always ends in miserable failure. It always does. Historically, all you got to do is look at the late 19th century into the 20th century, particularly with economic theory, but you can look at many, many different things. We don't have enough time. I put a clock here so that I don't go too long. I haven't looked at it yet. I've been preaching a little too long, so I thought I'd get this. Um, I know some of you are going to say, I, no, Father, you can talk as long as you want. Nobody likes you when you say that. <laughs> well, I do, you know. By the way, if you like a guy when he talks long, he's loquacious. If you don't like him, he's verbose. So hopefully I'm mostly loquacious. So we are stuck in this uh, tension between having faith but questioning why he doesn't do more. And then we want to fix stuff, right? And then this desire to to want to fix stuff sort of in a large way, even in a small way, leads us to a lot of frustration and anxiety because we can't. We have a limitation, right? I mean, just consider the idea that, oh, well, let's just leave it to our government to fix everything. (laughs) It's it's just another joke for you, you know. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. We know it isn't going to work. We just know that won't work, right? I mean, it's, as much as we would like to fix everything or like somebody to do it, it doesn't happen. Little bits here and there, of course. But what leads us to a lot of anxiety, resentment, angst in our lives is seeking to fix things particularly outside of our sphere of influence, I mean, it can really drive us crazy. And I know a lot of people really, really struggle with this because you look at the world, you know, and you look at what's going on and you say, well, somebody needs to fix it. No one's going to fix it. No one will fix it. It cannot get fixed. God won't fix it. No one else is going to fix it. Doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, no one can fix it. And they're obviously not right? I mean, the evidence is, is well there that it's not getting fixed, but it, it can't get fixed, which leads us or leaves us in this position of, well, here's the deal. Number one, if God, if it was God's plan to fix everything here, he would have done it. So I'm forced to believe that a God who is all-powerful and all-loving, if he doesn't seek to fix it himself, He doesn't want it fixed. It doesn't need to be fixed. And part of the reason, and perhaps the main reason, is because this isn't the goal, this life. It's not the goal. It's not where he has us headed. And where where does he have us us headed? Where he went. He ascended to heaven to show us the way. This is where I'm going. This is what I fixed. This is what I opened up for you. I'm not going to fix it here. You know, Jesus himself endured all of that suffering. 
and it's not going to escape any of us. It's actually not something necessarily to be avoided. It's not something to be welcomed. But when it happens, it's an opportunity for every single one of us to grow in virtue and faith and to reorient ourselves to eternity. People will ask me, um, you know, usually religious stuff, and, uh, Father, what do you think about, you know, the Pope, or what do you think about the bishops, or, you know, those German bishops, what's the deal with them, or, you know, all the rest, to which I just say, I don't know. I have no clue. I have 12,000 of you, that's enough. (laughs) I can have influence here. This is what I've been given. This is my task. This is what the Lord wants me. This is my work, as it were. This is my life. And this is what I will seek to do my best at. All of the rest, I don't really have much. They're not going to listen to some priest. I have very limited influence. And I, I suggest that to keep ourselves sane, to stay away from the resentment and too much anxiety. Yes, we live in a culture. There are certain duties we have to the culture. We, sh- we should seek to do what we can. However, the reason why out there is broken is because in here is broken. The reason why out there is broken is because families are broken, because we're not doing a good enough job with our sphere of influence. That has to be our focus. Being the best dad you can be, the best mom you can be, the best child you can be, best priest you can be. That's what we can control. We can't control anyone else, but we can have some influence on the people close to us. And the better we are here, there will be an effect out there. It's just that, you know, we want to fix out there immediately, and we want things to change. Of course we do. But the reality is the reason why people out there, generally speaking, do bad things is because of something that went wrong here. And so if we can get our houses in order, our families in order, stay faithful to the Lord, you know, continue to work on being, again, the best parent we can be, the best husband and wife you can be. We have influence there. And then we trust that God is going to take that influence, that love, that goodness, and expand it because that's what he does. Love is diffusive. It goes out like a, like a pebble thrown into a calm, clear lake. That goodness and love spreads. But it starts with a source, and that source is our families, our, our small communities, and our parish. Please stand.